grab your Bible. Acts chapter 6. This morning as you came in, you should have received uh, your, your worship, little worship folder. And each person should have received also inside of that worship folder, bulletin thing, a yellow sheet. Anybody not have one? Okay. Dave, will hook you up. Dave, would you grab a bunch of those? And then uh, if there's anybody who does not have one, Dave will hook you up with it. This morning we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6. And Acts chapter 6, um, for me as a pastor, is a huge reminder that the weight and burden of reaching people for Christ does not lie solely on my shoulders. And to that I say amen. Uh, because that is a huge responsibility for one person. It's a huge responsibility for uh, two elders, and it's a huge responsibility for two elders plus three deacons. It's absolutely impossible for five people to carry out the ministry of reaching a community for Christ. Acts chapter 6 shows and reminds people like me, and both Nathan and I kind of confessed it on Thursday morning as we had an elder meeting, that we're both control freaks. Are there any other control freaks here? Good, welcome. You're in good company. Um, that we... <laughs> We are control freaks, and we like to micromanage, and we like to control, and we like to make things happen this kind of way, and we we like our box to look exactly like this, and things start looking differently than the box that we pictured. We get out of control, we get upset, we get worried and stressed, and this is something, a reminder that says, listen, you are part of a body, and so this is going to be part of your offering during communion. You don't fill this out right now. Fill it out as, just take kind of a peek at it. Where is it that you, that God may be calling you to serve? Maybe you don't know now. Maybe this is part of your offering next week as you come back saying, you know what, I'm not sure. Or maybe my spot is not here. But for the sake of the elders being able to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer, I need to use the gifts that God's calling me to. So let's read his word. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochius, and Nan Nicanor, 
and Timian and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you have ever heard anybody ever say to you, um, if you ever find the perfect church, what should you do? Please don't ever join it. Please don't ever join. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. Because why? You're going to mess it up. You are going to mess it up. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And I'm going to be the first to confess to you, if you think Missio Dei is a perfect church, you are blind. In fact, I'll go one step further. You're, you're ignorant. Because we are not the perfect church. We have so far to grow, go and grow in our spiritual walk together as individuals and as a community. We are not the perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There may be a church that fits well with you. You may enjoy the, the worship and the teaching or how the, the, the diversity within the body. You may enjoy all those things. You might like the number of children, the youthfulness, or the, the age of the church. You might like all those things. You might like the amazing good looks of the pastor and his speaking ability. You, know, you might like all those things. It might be a good fit. That's my one plug there. But there's no such thing as a perfect church. I've heard someone say it, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. But to dwell with the saints below, we know, well, that's a different story. The church is not perfect. Far from it. And to have been in this early church would have been an amazing, honestly, an amazing, wonderful experience. You read all the way up to this point, and you're going, oh my gracious, what is happening in the local body seems amazing. Don't ever sign me up for what uh, Peter had to go through, his lashes that he had to go through. But being a part of that church body had to be an exciting time where you just see numerical growth, people coming to Christ, people being baptized, people just, their eyes opening up, their whole lifestyles are changing. It had to be an exciting time. But the early church was not perfect either. Many people, even when they look at Acts chapter 2, say, man, if we could just be like Acts chapter 2, be that church. Whatever they had, they had in common. Blinders. Blinders. We've already seen in this church a problem with hypocrisy, right? We've seen Ananias and Sapphira. Who? That, that church discipline problem got taken care of very quickly. Now Luke presents another problem that occurred in the midst of this phenomenal growth. A complaint. A complaint arose and it threatened to split the church. Luke has followed a pattern all the way from chapter 1 that alternates between a church alone and the church in reaction to the world. You see, in, in chapter 1, the church is alone, gathered for prayer in an upper room where they elect an apostle to replace Judas. The church alone. 
But in Acts chapter 2, we see the church in the world. And Peter preaches, and what happens? 3,000 souls are saved. Now, that sounds like a pretty thing. But there were only 100, maybe 200 disciples. And 3,000 people are saved. Messy. Right there. At the end of Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us another picture of church life. In Acts chapter 3 through uh, part of chapter 4, we see the church again in the world with the first instance of what? Persecution. And the rest of chapter 4 through the first part of 5, we see it again inside of the church where they're dealing with the problem of hypocrisy and generosity and care for one another. And then in chapter 5, starting at uh, verse 12, Luke turns again the church in the world, describing the apostles' witness before the Sanhedrin, resulting of them being flogged. And now they turn back inward, showing us the problem that occurred in the church at this unusual time of growth. And by introducing us to Stephen, he sets the stage for the next outward scene. In, out, in. By this alternating pattern, I I believe Luke is trying to show us that the church must maintain a balance. The church is deeply concerned about our health and our our spiritual well-being, but also the church in relationship to a lost world. I believe that some churches are so outwardly focused that they fail to attend to the problems within, of discipleship, of care, of how to love one another. I've even heard that in the early days of Missio Dei Church. You care so much about these other people outside of our church. What about us? But there's also the other extreme of caring so deeply for us inside that we forget the mission to the world. I believe for us as a church, honestly, We're back into that swing. We care so much for us that we forget about the mission of reaching the world. If we don't recover our sense of mission, we will be consumed with bickering and self-centeredness and it'll lead to ultimately the demise of our church. Healthy churches maintain a balance between dealing with, with internal problems but also staying focused on the task of taking the gospel to the world. And I think our text this morning just points out some, some principles that arise in the local church. And to sum it up, throw it up there for me, Leah, our theme. Our theme is to solve the problems in the local church. And just so you know, this is not like a quick fix. Take this medicine and it's done. But to continually solve the problems in the church, both leaders and people must be spiritual people in submission to God's word. Word. It's an ongoing process of us submitting and resubmitting and resubmitting and resubmitting and resubmitting our lives to the word of God. As problems arise, what do we do? We submit our lives to the word of God and listen carefully to the word of God. We have got to be people of the word. You prick us. And we bleed scripture. 
as problems come to the elders, as problems come to the deacons, as problems happen within the different ministries of the church, as, as we see problems outside of our world, what outside of our little church world, what do we do? We respond as people focused on the word of God and listening carefully to what does the word of God say. And since seven is a, a spiritual number of absolute perfection, it's going to be a seven-point sermon. You know, usually I grew up, it was like a three-point sermon, seven, perfection, perfect sermon. So these are going to be seven principles, things to be reminding yourself constantly of what is the way that we solve problems within the church. First, we have got to answer this. What 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 is it that I mean when I say a spiritual people or a spiritual person? Because in our culture today, that, everybody is spiritual one way or the other, right? I'm deeply spiritual. It could be in touch with the trees, but I'm deeply spiritual. Or I believe that there's, everybody is basically good. Apparently you're not living in reality either, because I believe people are totally deprived, depraved, sinful to the core. So what is it that I mean by spiritual people? Number one, spiritual people orient everything in their lives, everything in their lives to God through prayer and God's word. Everything. And this is absolutely difficult. And I'm going to be honest with you, as as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, this is one of the most difficult things is to orient, orient everything according to God's word and to prayer. It's, it's difficult. A problem arises in your family place or in your workplace or just you just driving down the street. Stuff happens. And how do you make decisions? How do I make decisions as a, as a husband, as a father, as, as just a man? got to be orienting our lives around orienting our lives to god through word and prayer a spiritual person builds his or her life on god's word and independence on god through prayer proverbs 3 says this this kind of person trusts in the lord with what all their own heart all their heart and leans not on their own understanding that, that is a spiritual person, someone who trusts in the Lord with all of their heart and does not lean on their own understanding. And that's an extremely difficult issue. God's word permeates everything a spiritual person does. Note our text's emphasis on these themes. The apostles hear of the problem in the church, and their first response is what? Their first response is, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word and to serve on tables. If that's not right, that we give up the ministry of the word, we're waiting on tables. They reiterate it again in, in verse 4 where they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. For me, this is a huge reminder that my primary responsibility within this body is what? The ministry of the word. 
you'll see me painting. Is that my primary responsibility? No. My primary responsibility is preaching the word, ministry of the word, as well as prayer. And so what was the result of their focus, their laser-like focus? The result is, we see it in verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. Continued to increase. And the requirement for these men that were chosen to deal with the problem was that they were men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and they were full of wisdom. These are the type of people that the, the... the apostles, the elders, the leaders of the church said, these are the people that you want to be looking for amongst yourself, that they are full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Stephen was one of these seven who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And before the apostles laid hands on them publicly, setting them apart for the ministry, what did they do? They prayed. They didn't say, okay, good job, good job. Now let's just lay our hands. They prayed. They prayed. The whole problem-solving process was oriented to God through prayer and God's Word. And this is so vital to solving any problem within the church. The entire congregation. The entire congregation, especially the leaders, must daily be walking in the word, practical reality, just in a practical reality with, with God, in submission and independence of the word. There's nothing wrong with Robert's rules of order. There's nothing wrong with these different ways of ordering and keeping things if people are not self-willed, not acting on the basis of worldly wisdom, not grabbing for power and influence, I've been a part of meetings where Robert's rules have been fully followed. Fully followed. But the Spirit and the Word were fully absent. And this is church meetings. Spiritual people have got to be consumed with God's Word and prayer. We also have to note that spiritual people are very concerned with the whole person, the total person. Spiritual people, in other words, spirituality isn't just limited to one soul. One spirituality is also including the body. The the problem came up from what? The widows were not being taken care of. That is a a physical body issue. It's not a soul issue here. They weren't saying that the the widows, the Hellenistic widows were not receiving the word of God. They were not receiving the food in the daily distribution of bread. They were physically not being cared for. Spiritual people are concerned about not only the soul, but the body. True spirituality is not impractical or otherworldly spiritual people care about physical and spiritual needs they just don't dish out you know these pious platitudes they offer real help to real people who are in need amy carmichael if you've ever heard her 
heard of her or read any of her stuff, she was a missionary to India, pointed out that some of her critics of her ministry in India, she said this, that souls are rather securely fastened to bodies. The church, it's not all, primarily it is, but it's not all about reaching souls for Christ. It is also taking care of needs within our community and without. Spiritual people are very aware of that. But if everyone in the church were spiritual, there wouldn't be any problems, right? If we were all really spiritual people focused on the word, if we were all really spiritual people uh, in, in prayer, there, there would be absolutely no problem. So if you guys would just devote your time to prayer and you know, just having absolutely amazing Bible studies with one another, just memorizing scripture together, know how to parse a Greek verb and you know how to do all these kind of things, we would have absolutely no problems, right? Wrong. Because here's the next second thing that we have got to remember. The second principle is even spiritual people have problems. We've already read of the sense of unity and community in this early church. They had the best leaders imaginable who were discipled by Christ himself, walked with him for three years, who witnessed his words and his deeds. They, were, they, they witnessed physically, they saw the resurrect, resurrected Christ. These were well-equipped men. They were growing in a way that can only be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet they had this problem. Whenever you have growth through new conversions, you will have problems. When people come to Christ, you will have new problems. Spiritual babies always dirty their spiritual diapers. You wake up in the middle of the night with crying babies and like, like all babies, spiritual babies are self-centered at first. And I would even say eight-year-old babies are still self-centered. And I'm willing to say 42-year-old. I'm not asking you to call out your age, but you too are self-centered. And even mature believers are not exempt from self-centeredness, struggles, and sin. So every church, especially every growing church, is going to have problems. And this problem was not deliberate. It was not intentional. It happened. It happened. The reality is that getting saved does not erase all back, backgrounds and, and uh, any kind of factors. It's naive to say, well, since we're all born again, we won't experience any, any conflicts. Salvation does not eradicate different cultural assumptions and attitudes. This applies to both the church and to marriage. Just because you're saved does not eradicate your problems. Some people are going... I don't dare say amen to that, but inside I'm going, amen. Salvation does not save you from problems. In fact, sometimes it increases it because you become more aware of your sin as well as the sin in other people. 
And it creates more issues and tension. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It was here that in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the first mention of Christians as disciples in this book. And disciples means learners, referring to those who are learning to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. It is a lifelong task of each and every one of us to be disciples, to be learners for the long haul. There would not be all these exhortations to Christians to love one another, to be in forbearance with one another, to just live in peace with one another, if it were automatic. Spiritual people have problems. Spiritual people have conflict. And this problem arose out of, out of ministry. It was because they were trying to serve the Lord by meeting the needs of these widows that the conflict arose. Not because they were worldly-minded or doing nothing about the problem. Christians awfully naively get involved in serving the, serving the Lord with the assumption that everybody will just get along and just play by the rules. If you've ever been a part of the children's ministry, do we ever have problems within the children's ministry? Timeliness? Who's doing each other? What, what role are you playing? Lack of communication. We all love the Lord, but these problems still arise. They were doing the Lord's work. We're not told how the problem really came up, but whether or not the Hellenistic Jews came to the apostles, it doesn't say. It doesn't say if they came and discussed and said, hey, we'd like to call a meeting to you, with you. But we're told that the Hellenistic Jews had a complaint. The Greek word means murmuring. And honestly, as, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of murmuring. Murmuring. The word itself kind of sounds like the problem, doesn't it? Murmuring. Kind of the under the void. It's not happening. This, they don't care what murmuring. They were murmuring. Probably they had grumbled against themselves and the word finally spread out. And often that is how Nathan and I hear about problems. It's often not at the source where the violation happened, the pain happened, the mishap happened. It's about three or four steps out. Hey, did you hear the Bob Chapel is picked off? I had no clue. Thank you, Tennille, for telling us. You know, it, there's this murmuring we're going to keep talking about. And it's going to boil, and it's going to boil, and it's going to bubble until it finally bubbles over the pot, and all of a sudden the elders and the deacons go, there's a problem that has got to be addressed. When apostles... Let me say this. Leaders cannot deal with problems they do not know about. I want you to hear that. Leaders, elders, pastors, ministry leaders cannot deal with problems that we do not know about. But I love how the apostles handled the problem. When they heard about the problem, what did they do? They called the whole congregation together. The beauty of a, a corporate gathering. I'm sure this was not their corporate gathering time. 
But they called them together and just said, hey, we've got a problem. What, they did not blame anyone, and they did not lash out in self-defense, which I'll be honest, is what I do. I get squeezed. What comes out? Defensiveness. Yeah, but what should you have done? So God bless these apostles for their godly example to me. What did they do? They explained their philosophy of ministry. They laid out some guidelines. They assigned the congregation with the task of finding seven qualified men to deal with the problem. And then they gave those men the authority to deal with the problem. Wise wise men and how did they do it being grounded in the word and they were in prayer the third thing is that spiritual people are committed to harmony expressed through diversity harmony expressed through diversity this was this was the first time that we see in the early church that there was about time for a schism there was about time to start a brand new church the first church of the Hellenistic Christians of Jerusalem and the first church of the Jewish, uh, probably Jewish women of Jerusalem, there was a problem and they were ready to split because they were, they were murmuring going on. But the leadership never considered division as an option. Never considered division as an option. And even though these groups had diverse backgrounds and even different mother tongues, their, their ability to speak Aramaic and one, these Hellenistic folks did not speak probably, probably quite the same language what the church was birthed out of. They wanted to work out the problem in the spirit of unity, not division. Now, there are, and I want you to hear me say this, there are times, legitimate times, to separate from professing Christians or churches. Although that's not the scope of my message this morning. There are times when the word of God is not being revered. When the gospel is being distorted. When discipline is not being exercised. There are times. But that's not an overnight decision. unless there are biblical grounds to separate. God is glorified. God is glorified when people from diverse cultures and backgrounds worship Him together on a common ground of salvation in Christ. One of the church growth movements that I saw early starting Missio Day Church, some fives, even before that, when I was doing young adult ministry, the best way to reach people was to create different kinds of worship services. You had the Gen X, the Xers. They're kind of the angry against the world kind of folks. And then you got the boomers. You got all these different generations. If you create different services for each different kind of people, oh man, you're going to reach more people. But that's not what the body of Christ looks like. The body of Christ is diverse. I, I pray that our body will have the youngest newborn children to the oldest of saints someday. All worshiping together. I also pray that our body will be ethnically diverse. From the whitest lily white person to the darkest 
African man or woman. And everything in between. I pray that someday that we will have to have a different service because we, I can't speak Spanish. But we're reaching people who speak Spanish fluently. That might be one reason to start a church. It's not a, and I don't like you, it's a, man, I want you to be fed and filled with the Word of God. Diverse harmony. Number four, often problems in the church can be explained and resolved by understanding and using spiritual gifts. Not even the apostles could do it all. They were called and gifted to the ministry of prayer and preaching the word. They were not control freaks, unlike myself, who had to, has to direct every aspect of church ministry. They were willing to delegate responsibility to other godly folks to deal with the problem. The laying on of hands symbolizes the apostles passing on authority. One key to solving church problems is to recognize and implement the division of labor on the basis of spiritual gifts within the body. No man, no woman, no group of men or women, however gifted, can carry on the work of the local church. It is only when every member gets involved in serving in accordance to his or her gifts that the church will be strong. We also need to understand that people often grumble, this has been my experience, they often grumble about problems that are directly concerned related to their area of spiritual gift. For example, if someone complains that the church does not do enough outreach, why are they complaining about that? More than likely because they are a person that has the gift of evangelism. Their heart is for the, the loss. They're burdened for the loss. They tear up when they talk to lost people or think about lost people in their family. They have a heart for the lost people. And so when, they start, when you hear somebody complain, we don't do enough evangelism here, it's a person who is not using his or her gifts or the church has not tapped into them. If someone is complaining that the church is not friendly enough, Chances are that he or she has the gift of hospitality. That sense is, oh, there, there's a sense that we need to be more welcoming and, and loving and bringing people in and guiding them through where things are going on in the church and, and connect them. They've got the gift of hospitality. One who grumbles about how disorganized the church is is probably very gifted in administration. person who laments the lack of discernment of spiritual error is probably a prophet. The key to resolving differences is for each person to recognize the validity of all spiritual members for and to use his or her gift to work on the problem that he or she sees. The church will be very strong. Very strong. When every member commits himself to the ministry, herself to the ministry that God has called him or her to.
God has, if you are a born again believer, you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Moment of your conversion, you have been filled with the Spirit and gifted with at least one or more spiritual gifts. And those spiritual gifts are not for your benefit. They're for the benefit of the body. The question is, how are you, as a believer in Christ, using your gifts and talents and passions for the sake of the church, for giving God glory to reach the world for Christ? How are you using your gifts? Or are you not? This is a limited number of the ministries. These are current ones. But there are also needs for future ministries that God is putting a burden on your heart for because of the spiritual gifts that he's given you. This is an act of worship, of using your gifts and talents. And that's why during communion, this is going to be an act of worship, of offering your gifts to the leadership for the sake of building up the church. If there's something on this list, not on this list, that should be on this list, add it. Point it out. And this this is the dangerous point, and it's going to scare ministry leaders to death. If you're currently serving in a ministry that you should not be serving in, and you're doing it out of obligation, you might want to write that down too. But also keep in mind, I hate tearing down chairs and setting up. I still do it for the sake of the body. But we want to best use your gifts. It resolves conflict, and it gives God more glory. Communion. Start thinking. Spiritual leaders, number five, must maintain their focus and prayer on the ministry of God's word. Acts 4 said, and this is a main directional thing, a refocus for me, especially with this this building kind of project. Verse 4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. My focus should not be a building, though it's beneficial. My focus needs to be studying word of God, discipling men and women, equipping men and women. That is my focus. My focus needs to be on prayer, and I'm going to tell you I am pretty close to being a prayerless pastor right now because I am doing things I should not be doing. Why? We have a body that I desperately need. Enough said on that one. Six, leaders at every level, every level must be spiritually qualified. This is not something uh, the apostles did not say. Find seven willing and able-bodied folks uh, and, and have them serve tables. Okay, let's count off. One, Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, Matt, you're it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Terry, you're it. And that's not how they did it. 
They didn't just, you know, who pulled the, the bad straw? You know, <laughs> sorry, you're serving tables. What did they do instead? To serve tables, these men had to be of the highest spiritual caliber, second only to the elders of the church. The congregation chose them wisely because if you see, these are all Greek names. And so they were probably from Greek background. So the, the apostles, the elders of the church were very sensitive to the problems that were going on. The Hebrews did not demand equal representation or a majority of this board. There may have already been seven Hebrews on this, this team. We don't know. But they let the Hellenistic men minister to the Hellenistic women. And here are the qualifications. First one, in this instant, they were men. They were to be men, not women. The Greek word refers to males. We don't know if these were the, really the first deacons of the church. Probably they fulfilled the role, but the office did not originate until later. While there's plenty of biblical background for having female deacons, we see that in 1 Timothy 3.11. We also see it in Romans 6, 16 verse 1. They must be underneath male elders who have oversight of the church. That's the first thing. Second thing, they were plural in number. There were multiple. They did not assign just one deacon. There were multiple deacons. They were also of a good reputation. The Greek word is witness, and it means that these men had to be attested by others to be men of integrity. In the community that they work and live in, outside of their Christian community, they were of good repute. Whether they were a used car salesman or a, a Hebrew barista, people said these, these are men of integrity. They had to be full of the Spirit. Someone has pointed out that everyone is full of, this, full of something. Either it's full of self or of the Spirit. Some of you were wondering where I was going to go with that, weren't you? Shame on you. These men had to be under the Spirit's control. Full of the Spirit, not full of self. Seven or five, they had to be full of wisdom. They needed to know how to apply God's Word to practical, everyday situations. They were wise. They also understood, James, that if any of you are lacking wisdom, what do you do? They don't go to the, the self-help section of Barnes and Nobles and go, okay, well, how do we deal with uh, dealing with these folks? Okay, here's a great book. Let's read this. They're full of wisdom because they sought wisdom from above. They're wise. And they were also centered on the Word. And the last problem, last thing that we need, principle we need to point out is this. A growing organism requires new levels of organization in order to solve their problems. The church is primarily an organism. Primarily. A living body of which Christ is the head. But all organisms are very organized. I hated biology. But the one thing that I notice when you're looking underneath a microscope at any kind of cell, it is highly organized. It is not haphazard. Each cell serves a certain function, 
and a place and within our organism as a body. It has got to be organized. And some of you free will folks, sometimes that's me, get, why can't we just love each other? There needs to be organization. But there's also the mistake of overemphasizing organism and neglect of proper organization. The need for new organization grows as a body grows. One of the things that I, I, I've got to hold back on is knowing that we're, we're not a church of 100, 200, 300 folks yet, so we don't need all kinds of levels of organization. At this point, we got a phenomenal uh, elder team, we got phenomenal deacons, we got some great ministry leaders going on here. I don't need to overcomplicate things. Keep it simple. But as our church grows, there are going to have to be different new levels of organization for the sake of the organism. And that's what they recognized here. There was a new problem in the church. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. And what did they have to do? They had to add another level in the organism to give it organization for the sake of care, for the sake of the gospel witness. So in conclusion, to sum up all these principles, to solve the problems in the church, both leaders and people must be spiritual people in submission to God's word. Verse 7 says, the result of this problem being solved was what? The word of God kept on growing. It kept on taking off. It was increasing greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of the priests, the religious folks of the day, were becoming obedient. Amazing. Humanly speaking, they would have been the most difficult people to reach. Religiously. They would have been entrenched in the Jewish ceremonies and the customs. They would have been prone toward salvation by works or because of their Jewish birth. They would not have been seen, seen that they were sinners in need of a Savior, yet God worked mightily through the gospel to bring them salvation. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I know many of you are regular tenders, and some, many of you are members of the church, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is your first need. You must come to Him. As a, as a sinner, you must let go of your own good works and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ as the only basis for forgiveness and for eternal life. It is not dependent on how good you live your life right now. That's works righteousness. You need to trust in something far greater. Christ's accomplished work. You are a Christian, but you are not using your gifts to serve the Lord. You need to seek God for how He wants you to serve Him. If you're grumbling, murmuring, 
about a problem in the church, that may be a clue as to where he wants you to get started. All of us need to make sure that we are walking daily in the reality, daily in the reality with Jesus Christ, growing in our knowledge of and obedience to 